Well, welcome back, family. Thank you so much for being with us today on the How Do I Repent.org podcast. My name is Mike, and I am always so honored to welcome my very best friend and brother, Mr. Dan. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing great. I'm excited, Dan, because we get to continue this journey of learning, discipleship. And again, I want to make sure that our listeners understand that we are working this out with fear and trembling. We're seeking God. We're asking questions. We're knocking. Uh, we are not theologians at the same time. We do seek to know God at a deeper level. So as we work through this, and as you work through this, I would encourage you, continue to ask the questions, study with intent, and desire to know God at a deeper level. And that intention, that desire will draw you closer to God. He's going to give you good gifts of understanding of revelation as you seek him. So today we want to jump into some great topics. We are going to hit why did Jesus have to die and how did Jesus's death atone for my sin? Throwing in some conversation about sacrifices and repentance. This is the How Do I Repent.org podcast. All right, so Dan, this is a... Uh, this is going to be a couple different podcasts, but we really want to dive in today of the question, why did Jesus have to die? What do the sacrifices have to do with all of this? And what did Jesus's death really do for the world? So let's start out with sacrifices. Let's look into that. One of the first things that I think it's important to talk about is really about the early church and how did they look at sacrifices? And then what does the Torah talk about or tell us the purpose of sacrifices are? Okay. You know, just kind of being raised in church, you know, it was almost like I, I was brought up thinking that the early believers were anti-temple, they were anti-Torah, they were anti-sacrifices. It was, it was really, I don't know, there was just this, this mindset that I had that it, it seemed like that was what the way it was. And, you know, talking with people over, you know, the, the past years, I, there's a lot of people that thought that. You start to create a bias in your own mind, right? You start to yeah. have this, this church, I want, I want to say church religious view, and it starts to become your filter. So you're filtering everything through that understanding. Well, when there's a piece missing, it creates a flawed view of what actually is right and that caught and that bias causes a total misunderstanding and really hurts your understanding of what what did jesus do and the whole purpose of it you know of you know him dying on the cross you know i like to kind of go back and just you know take a basic step i don't want to go too deep but i want to hit a, a basic point of what the sacrifices were and you know for if you don't know i mean there was basically five sacrifices there was a burnt offering a grain offering a peace offering a sin offering and a guilt offering so if um, we were to take the thirty thousand foot view each of those had there was a point to each of them correct yeah. there was something that was trying to be developed in the person giving the sacrifice and so yeah. let's jump into that kind of from the from the thirty thousand foot view you know th that was just a high level you saw are the five offerings in the in the sedur the prayer book Every morning for morning prayer, observant Jew prays Shakri, and there's a there's a portion in there. It goes over the sacrifices, and it lists ten different sacrifices in there that can be eaten, you know, at different times. And so we've talked about on past 
podcast that, you know, you think about sacrifices, you're going to go eat dinner with God in the temple. Right. Well, I, I mean, I have sacrifices on my grill out back. You know, they, they yeah. did it at a much <laughs> higher level and, yeah. uh, and had a dinner with God. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, you're, you're going to the temple. You're going to the place where God has called and, and he said, hey, this is the protocol that I want you to come to me. And in this protocol, there's these the sacrifices that could be eaten. It's not like, oh, I sinned, and then I'm going to go eat dinner with God and go and make a sacrifice. So that's kind of the thought I think that happens is that we think that these sacrifices are for sins. No, the way that you're presenting it, I think, is really good because it was more about showing the the desires of God, first of all, to commune with his people on a level that they could understand. Second, you talk about the... Um, the impact of someone offering something uh, is such an incredible act of desire, a credible act of intimacy and intentionality. So sacrifices in this context could be used as, you know, man, this is just a really uh, a big opportunity to be able to, again, like you said, have dinner with God. For some way, we've twisted it to where we say that a sacrifice is for an, an intentional sin. And we think, okay, I, I need a sacrifice when I sin. You know, I go steal something from somebody. I'm like, oh, I'll go do a sacrifice. Hmm. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think like that, but that's ultimately what it's turned into. Right. And so we don't, we don't understand the importance of it. You know, the fact is a sin offering actually is for an unintentional sin. I mean, and that kind of goes against everything that, I've been brought up on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. Yeah, the the sin offering. I mean, really think about that. A sin offering are only for unintentional sins. So if I if I accidentally do something, let's just say I use an example. You know, I I I I'm reading the Ten Commandments, and the Fourth Commandment says remember the Sabbath, and I'm like, oh wait a second, what's that mean? And I start digging into it, and I start realizing. Oh, well, Sabbath has been done a certain way, the same way for 3,500 years. Oh, well, in one way or another, I start observing the Sabbath. This on Friday night, I start uh, doing something. I start doing communion or something. It's just all of a sudden I start remembering the Sabbath. Okay, well, I unintentionally missed it because of the way that I was brought up. I wasn't brought up that way. Well, that's an unintentional sin. Okay, well, that, that qualifies. That's a sin, sacri- sin offering. <laughs> if there is a temple, you know, right now we don't have a temple, so there's no, there's no sacrifices going on. But in the time of the early believers, and if we go back to Acts, there's times that they were dedicated to the prayers and to the temple service. Right, here in, in Acts, here in Acts 21, 26. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So even Paul was making sacrifices. Right? Yeah, that's, that, that was a sacrifice. He was going and doing a sacrifice. And so that's because the temple was there. Now, we think right off the bat, you know, there, we may have just lost half our audience listening here because people can't believe that they, that Paul was doing a sacrifice after Jesus died. Well, it's just the fact that we're not taught the basics of the sacrifices and what they were there for and how God used them. If we can just really, if we can drive home a point today, the sacrifices are not for intentional sins. So we can't go and sin and then expect to do a sacrifice. If if we come to understand that basic, then 
okay, now we need to look and say, okay, well, what was Jesus' sacrifice? Right. So going back into Hebrews 10, 26, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer a sacrifice that will cover any of these sins. So it goes to the point with what you were saying. It's just like in the Old Testament, or in David sinned, and he, he, he goes, you know, God, I bring you sacrifices, but you don't want those. Well, he doesn't want them for sin. Right. It's repentance. It's a contrite heart. It's, it's humbling ourselves. And, and really, that's where, you know, this is where repentance is so key. Because the only thing that when you sin, really, the only thing you can do is you can, you can, Go to God and you can pray, you know, pray for mercy and you can truly repent. But then there's another part of repentance, which is making restitution for the sin. That's a really good point. Yeah, I know going through the four steps, even of, of what we've been discussing, confessing the sin with your mouth, um, putting measures in place to not do it again, determining you're not going to do it again. And then one of the most important that has been forgotten or even not even looked at is making it right with your brother, bringing restitution. Before you offer your gift at the altar, go back and make it right with your brother, which yeah. creates forgiveness in his own heart, right? So repentance, Jesus spoke, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, you know, show fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what really makes an impact, does it not? I mean, you're looking at the, the power of, of repentance and a repentant heart brings peace into yeah. the world, into families, into circumstances. Yeah, and it does, and it, repentance, that's the message that Jesus and John both preached, was to repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. I mean, that was a true gospel message. I, I think just kind of going back to, we we're talking about having a bias, you know, against, um, you know, sacrifices or the temple. I mean, we got to, we got to understand Jesus sacrifice and what he did did not replace the temple sacrifices. And, and that right there is at the core, I think, of what is taught. But it, but it really comes from a misunderstanding that sacrifices have nothing to do with intentional sins. And so, it, and if you come, to, if you really can grasp that, you can start opening up and saying, okay, well, what, what is, you know, why, why did Jesus have to die? What was his death? Right. So it brings group? us into our next point. The suffering and death of Jesus is what? What, for what purpose? We get the ability to repent. What Jesus did, his suffering and his death, was a mechanism that God, that allowed God to extend forgiveness and grace to us. And God uses that to accept repentance from every wicked person in this world. So what so, you're saying is, is that the death and suffering of Jesus, our Messiah, God had used the suffering of a righteous person to allow us another day to get it right, to not yeah. completely obliterate us. Do you have... Do you have an example, maybe, you know, going back in in the Old Testament of righteous accounting for the wicked, like, you know, everything that we're talking about? Yeah, you can look at the whole story of Israel and Moses. You know, Moses was a, really the first example of this this entire process being played out. And, and it gives us a good biblical base to look at this. The children of Israel come out of Egypt and they're, you know, they're they're. They're all excited. Hey, we just, you know, look what God did. You know, he split the Red Sea, all this. And, and they're following Moses. Moses is like this, he's like this Messiah to them. I mean, he, that's what he is. He's the first redeemer. He goes and Moses was the king. And really the Messiah means the king of Israel. So Moses is in this place, the Messiah. 
And they're all looking to him. And then he goes up to the mountain to spend time with God. And he says, look, I'll be back in 40 days. Well, he, and then he didn't come back on the time that they thought. And so they basically said, you know what? Moses isn't coming back. Well, a cow was a deity at that time. I mean, looked at as a deity. However it happened, they, they threw their gold into a pot and out come a cow. <laughs> and they're worshiping this cow. And then God tells Moses, he's like, oh, look at these people. And ultimately, God says, you know, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over. And Moses says, no, don't do not do that. Take me out if you're going to take all of them. Right. And so, so Moses basically stands in the gap. He has favor with God. And he has enough favor with God that God does not destroy the people of Israel. It's it's a perfect example. It, it's that's that's what I'm saying. Jesus' death. Jesus. Okay, Moses was a righteous person, and and Jesus was a righteous person. Jesus' death. You know what the apostles preached all through the New Testament is that the death and suffering of Jesus was the atonement for the whole world that we can believe and walk down this walk down this path of salvation. So if we had to look at it with, you know, in our context, would say that we were pulled out of bondage, we were given the opportunity to get it right, taken into the desert for most of us. It's an opportunity to grow, to learn, to rely on God, to to be taught, and we turn our heads away from the desire of God to see us redeemed, to come draw near to him. And really, we're making the same mistakes that the Israelites made. The world is making those same mistakes. And then you have Jesus who came as a as a Moses figure, you know, right? I mean, it, there's a lot of shadows of Messiah in the word of God to give us a picture. We, we can't just magically understand it. We have to see, uh, we have to dive in and now Jesus is saying, you know what? The wrath that is meant for these people turning to idolatrous practices, sexual immorality, essentially sinning, I'm going to stand in the gap for them, right? That's yeah. that's basically how I look at it in my own context and say, I've had the opportunity now, and uh, and I need to take him up on that opportunity because there is, there's an understanding that we will be judged for our deeds in the end. Yeah. Paul says that in Romans 2. He says in Romans 2, 6, God will repay each person according to what he has done. There's other scriptures where Paul says that, you know, we're all going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And he talks about like whatever's wood, stubble, or hay, it's going to be done away with. And only what's remaining is what's pure. You know, there, there, there's a time where we have to give an account and what we are doing is going to be held in judgment. And judgment's not a bad thing. It's it's showing us where we're at. It's getting rid of all the chaff. You know, it's and if you look at you know, I just want to kind of go back to this story with Moses. Even at the you know, we're talking about when the golden calf incident happened. But even when he's going into take when he's taking them into the land of Israel, you know, all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, it was Moses wanted to go into the land, but the way the rabbis teach it is that God substituted Moses and gave, you know, his access. And instead of giving Moses access, he gave the access to Israel. So Moses didn't get to go. So there's another situation of a righteous person suffering. Cause Moses, you know, can you just imagine Moses 
this whole time he has <laughs> he has this understanding like, hey, we're all going to go into the land. He brings all of Israel to it, and he gets there, and he he can't go. Right, he's their biggest cheerleader. Like, man, we're going to the land. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be great. And then all of a sudden, you know, he and, stood face to face with God. I mean, yeah. he, he was in front. You know, his face glowed and shined like light. I mean, like um, with a bright glow, and and he had that communion with God. He had that that right relationship. He was living righteous and. And here he gets to the end, and all of a sudden he can't go in. Yeah, but you know, it's either him or them. Yeah, Israel didn't deserve to go in the land. I mean, they had, they, I mean, they just, they totally, totally blown it. And now there's a new generation coming up. But that's God substituted Moses and said, you know, wow. okay, yeah, Israel, you can go, but Moses, you can't. Yeah. You know, the the thing is, you know, I just want to kind of go back to the beginning. We we're talking about sacrifices and the bison stuff. You know, there, there's scriptures that we read and we just kind of, we get this thought and they're being, and you hear preachers talk, talk about like math or just in Hebrews 22 and it makes a statement. It, it's like, it says without shedding of blood, there's no atonement. And the thing is, that's not actually, you can't make that blanket statement and say that. And, and I think in Hebrews, he says nearly everything, uh, you know, is cleansed with blood. Well, in Leviticus five, uh, in Leviticus five twelve, it talks about you. If you can't afford to bring an animal, you can replace it by using flour. So that's mm-hmm. a situation where there wasn't blood. You know, there there was actually a grain offering. Well, I mean, if there, you break that down, it, could I could I then interject and make a you know a statement that if you cannot afford it, you know, you're talking about people who who didn't have, you know, the finances to afford it. It was more about intention. It was more about sacrifice. It was more about what they were able to give up. Cause you talk about the lower class or you talk about the impoverished and um, you know, I, and I remember a story I, I can't think of off the top of my head where, you know, you bring a simple bird, you know, that it was really about intentionality. It was really about what you're willing to give up to come into community with God. Am, am I tracking in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, God made a way. He was just making a way for anybody. Sure, and, okay. And this, okay. In this way, he's like, if you can't afford it, you can bring this grain offering. You okay. can bring, you can basically bring flour. It wasn't, blood wasn't the only thing that atoned. Because even in number 16, you know, there there is a, you know, a big situation where Aaron went running through with burning incense to make atonement. So that's number sixteen forty seven, right? Forty eight. Yeah, and, and number sixteen forty seven and forty eight, and so there wasn't there wasn't blood there, and you know in Exodus thirty it talks about him giving a half shekel for atonement, and you know and so it's just so it was multiple. it was almost a suffering, and they were giving what they had. It, I mean, it caused suffering in the individual, right? So there's still an element of suffering to atone. They're still they it, had to do something. They had to do something. Yeah, and I mean, this is where Solomon was praying. He says, if my people turn from their sins and turn, you know, turn to the temple and ask God to forgive their sins. You know, there, there's not a need for a sacrifice right there because he's saying if they turn from their sins and ask forgiveness, that God will heal them. Essentially repentance. This yeah. It's, it, How powerful right. is that though, Dan? When it, it, it is powerful. Like, repent that, that all encompassing word is so powerful, but it's, just merely glanced over and well repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand say you're sorry to god for the kingdom is coming no there is a process that has been unfolded for millennia and we're looking at this process we're dissecting it at the same time man it just hit me how powerful repentance is in god's eyes 
repentance is such a, a key part of the whole process. And what Jesus did, his suffering earned favor. They earned, he, he had favor with God where, where God said, okay, I'll let all these wicked people repent. That's, that's the core of what Jesus did. And to, to even take it a step further, it's because of his righteousness and his suffering that in his death that we have that ability to repent. So the mindset, the bias, if you will, and I want to, I want to make sure that you understand bias has a bad connotation. It, it has a bad inference. What we're saying is basically the filter that we've been looking through. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't believe that anybody listening is anti-Semitic or hates Jews. That's not where I'm going. I'm saying the filter that you've been accustomed to. So we say, well, I've heard it said, and you said before about the church kind of vernacular and, and what people are regurgitating, repeating, whatever, is that Jesus came to do away with the temple sacrifices, that he stood in place of the temple sacrifices. What I've come to understand as there was a requirement to offer sacrifices in the temple, yet Jesus was not sacrificed in the temple. Um, Jesus was outside of the city and he was killed by Romans. He was not, it was not done in a way that would have been satisfying to God. And so how can we go back and kind of weigh that out and say, which one actually holds truth and which one can I allow to plant seed in my life? Jesus did not come to do away with the temple sacrifices. Am I correct? Yeah. He, he, Jesus, you know, we're just talking about that. The sacrifices have to be offered by a priest, you know. So, like you said, he was the, the Romans killed him. You know, he, you know, he's definitely not a kosher sacrifice. <laughs> you right. know, right. And, you know, and, you, and there's nowhere in there that you could do sacrifices for humans. I mean, although, you know, it was brought up with Abraham to sacrifice his son. You know, sidebar there, but it it did, <laughs> but but the whole process wasn't. You know, we're talking about the Levitical system, the process for the Levitical system to do sacrifices in the temple. And the there's only a, reason that we don't do that now, if I if I'm correct, is because there's no temple. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and it's so, like I said, it, it's nothing to do with with this whole process, and and that's what hopefully we can shift our mind and say, okay, I, I can separate sin from sacrifices. That's that's what I need to do. And, and then, so then if you're looking at sin, well, this is where it really comes into the, the point. Okay. I have this life full of sin and I'm just, you know, and, and the first thing is I, you know, as I'm, as I'm going along in life, I'm like, well, I can't be good enough for what God wants. And I mean, that's really the thought, you know, I had that for many years, like, oh, well, I can't do this anyway. So why am I even going to try? Exactly. Right. Right. I've heard yeah. that statement said over and over yeah. That really is what the new covenant is about because the new covenant is where God says, I'll change your heart and I'll make you want to serve me. I, so many people try to say, well, the old covenant, the whole belief in a Messiah is falls under the old covenant. If we want to call it the old covenant and, and we got to understand that our, our whole belief in a Messiah, the son of David comes from the old, it's one of the old covenants. Correct. Yeah. And you know, so because there was, there was multiple covenants. And then in, in Jeremiah, it, you know, he's starting to lay out, you know, and Ezekiel started laying out the new covenant and the new covenant 
and it's really clear when you when you get this perception perspective, it is so clear that God's saying you couldn't keep the commandments, and that was the flaw. So what I'll do, I'll change your heart so you'll keep the commandments. So this whole idea of saying that I'm not good enough and I can never do this, that's totally against the new covenant. Because the new covenant is saying, I'll make it where you can do this. Right, right. And, and so when Jesus says, I'm, you know, he's the mediator of the new covenant, his, what he's doing is opening the door for everybody to repent so that we can walk through down this, this path of this new covenant relationship where God is going to start changing us. Going back to, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me. I think that word through is very telling. He is the doorway into the new covenant is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Understanding that, you know, we don't get it right. Um, there is unintentional sin. There are opportunities. There are things that we've done. The things that we've done have to be dealt with out of court by repentance. The unintentional sin is being covered uh, by the atonement of Jesus Christ. But then he's saying, don't stop your journey here. Don't concentrate on the grace that has been given, but continue to move forward, make restitution, draw near to God, and there will be a place for you in the kingdom. Yeah, and it's we, we're we're working. You know, we, it's hard to think about that we have this place in the kingdom. But one of the, a good analogy I think that I, that I can use is if you go to college, you know, you're here in this life, and you go to college. And you get your degree. Well, that's going to open the door for you to get a job. And then in that job, you're going to have responsibilities. Well, if you continue your college and all of a sudden you get a master's, well, now you're going to be able to come up higher in a career. But you also have more responsibility. And with more responsibility, there's more consequences. So now let's just say you, you decide to keep going and you go get a doctor. Let's say you, you get a doctor degree in, you know, whatever field. Well, now you, you have a much higher level of authority. Your position's higher. The consequences are different. That's how we need to think about our relationship with God. We're, we're coming higher as we come to understand Him. We may be given a different position, you know, but we're also given a different level of responsibility. And with that level of responsibility, we have, you know, different consequences. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that those who keep the commandments and teach others will be greater in the kingdom, and those who don't will be least. To much is given, much is required as well. You go back to the story of Moses. We look at him and say, well, he hit a rock. Why wouldn't he be allowed after all that he's been through to enter the kingdom? Does that call into question the fact that he is at a level where he is understanding and knowing God, and then he took something that God commanded, he did not do it. And I'm not saying Moses is wrong, bad, you know, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. What I'm saying is, is if we take this school of thought and we say that there are consequences in relation to the responsibilities that we've been given and the, and the position that we've been given in the kingdom that call for a more severe judgment, a severe consequence. Yes, yeah, severe consequence. That that's where repentance is so key. You you can't if you're going to grow in God, if you're going to grow in your walk with God, you, you've got to live this repentant life. 
it's it's just got to be an it's got to be this attitude that I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm going through this I'm and your attitude has to be that I'm doing this for service for the king. I'm not doing it for selfish reasons. I'm not trying to get something out of God for this. I'm not trying to do it to gain what I want. It's you're doing it in clear service to the king. You, you think I, I like David, his example, because David didn't try to take the kingship. I mean, here he was anointed by Samuel. He go, you know, he's got Saul who's coming after him. Even after the whole thing, he's very cautious in, 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 you know, going through this process of, of becoming the king. And it's really the people are, are coming to him and making him king. And he was just very humble about the whole thing. So David, you know, ha- has a major sin. And then what's he do? He repents. And, you know, he, and he goes through the process, but there were still consequences for his sin. You know, his son died and he had all kinds of issues with his, with his children. And those were results of his sins. Sin has consequences. And sometimes we're going to get the, the consequences in this life. And the ones that aren't taken care of here, well, they got to be dealt with in the next life. So, Dan, if we look at the verse for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I think the school of thought is that when you have the gift of God, it squashes the previous wordage. The wages of sin is still death. There are still consequences of sin. Yeah. You go out and sin, there are going to be consequences both physically and supernaturally. Correct. Yeah, so exactly. what what does if we switch gears but keeping in the same school of thought, there's an element of suffering of righteous peoples, right? We look at that with Jesus Christ, we look at that with Abraham, we looked at that through the the fathers of our faith. Are there still or is there still suffering of the righteous today? Yes, 100%. And, and the rabbis actually say if there's not a righteous person, I, I've heard this said before, if there's not a righteous person, then then the innocent children end up suffering. Wow. Wow, that's very that's a very powerful statement, very telling of I know. society even today. If my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, quote unquote, repent, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. That's, that's very powerful verse because there is a, like you said, there's a process. He didn't necessarily say, if you accept Jesus into your heart and believe him for the forgiveness of your sins, then everything will be fine. And you'll no longer have sin, you know, destroying you. I mean, sin still has an effect, but if you seek his face, if you, if you take that gift, that favor, that and like we like to call it grace, you take that day to get it right. You have another breath in your body to get it right. Well, then he said, then I will forgive your sin and heal your land. So from God himself, as the scriptures are written, there is a process that we must go through. Okay, so Dan, that's where we'll leave it off today. I think this is a has been a really good foundational piece, setting the stage for our next conversation Next week for the suffering of the righteous, what does that mean? Why did Jesus have to suffer the way that he did? What does that look like in our context in this day and age? I believe that there are some really good points that we'll be able to cover and dissect and weigh out and apply and allow seed to plant into our lives. Um, This has been a really great conversation, my friend. I really appreciate the time invested in studying and understanding 
And uh, closing thoughts, Dan. I think next week we, we can talk oh, quite a bit about the suffering of the righteous and what the apostles had had talked about and what their view was. Um, the the suffering of the righteous is a big part of what we are to be involved into because, you know, this is this is in, uh, you know, like in first Peter, you know, and we'll talk more about this next week. But the, the whole idea of, of the righteous suffering for the people who are not righteous is a, is a key part that God uses in this world. And we're to play a part of it. So I'll be excited to um, Very jump good. in. good, yeah. I mean, we are called to suffer on account of Messiah. We're called to suffer for his namesake. There is an element that we need to understand that we partake in when we sign on the dotted line and say, I am going to become a disciple of the master. I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus. Well, that's it for today, my friends. It's been such a fruitful conversation with my best friend, Dan. And uh, brother, I thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to next week's conversation. Until then, my friends, I pray that you are blessed and highly favored, that you take what is said and you think about it, you meditate on it, you pray, you seek God, and, uh, and you'll find the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the howdoireventorg podcast.